Well, hey, everybody. Um, thanks for coming out as, as usual. Um, I'm glad you're here, and I hope, uh, I hope you all have had a good week. I, I know that I'm tired today. I've had a long couple of days. I just got back from Santa Fe this afternoon, and um, so a lot of driving and went up yesterday, so a lot of time in the car. Um, but uh, I'm glad to be here, and I hope, uh, I hope you are, too. Um, welcome back to RUF Large Group. Like, a, like we said, this is our um, second to last time. Uh, semester flies by, right? And um, so I know that's terrifying for some of you. It's exciting for some of you. Um, but uh, I'm glad you're here. So uh, tonight we're going to continue on. Um, oh, yeah, real quick. I hope you do come back next week. We're going to hear from two of our graduating seniors who are just going to share with us their life experiences in college, um, what college has been like. Um, so come back for that, and I'm excited to hear that, and it means that my sermon will be shorter. So, um, can you all hear me all right? Do I need to talk louder? Do I need this? Okay, then I'm not going to use it. Um, all right, so tonight we're, con- we're pressing on with, um, with First John, and um, John is beginning to wrap up his letter. Um, it's, a, it's a really great length for preaching over a semester because it's a, it's a good length, um, because it ties up right when we start to tie up, and so... John tonight is starting to, to finish up what he's been talking about throughout the whole semester on love. And so he's, start, he's cycling back again to the stuff that's really important. You know, when you write a paper, you need to have your thesis statement at the beginning and at the end, right? This is what's important. This is what I want you to remember. That's what John is doing. He's saying, this is, this is what's important. These are, the things, these are the things that I want you to remember, and so he returns tonight with this word um, that's, that he wants to pound over and over again. It's this word testimony. Testimony, right? So he, we're going to see this word over and over again. Um, and it, we're going to see the, in, in some form the word testimony is, is in the Greek text ten times in just these couple of verses. Really important word. And so um, it's kind of a loaded word. And maybe some of you have heard the word testimony. And that's kind of got a lot of, it's kind of got some baggage to it. It's a big word in, Christian, in like the Christian world. Um, it's sort of, Christians have this lingo, right? We've just got a, a language that we use when we're together. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. That's just the way groups are when they're together. Like if you're with a group of biologists, they're going to have a bio, you know, biology lingo. Or a group of, um, if you're with a group of, Football, you know, football team, they're going to have language. For, so Christians are no different. We've got lingo. It's bad when it becomes exclusive, which it often does, but um, it's not intrinsically bad. One of the major words that we have today in American Christianity is testimony. Testimony. What is your testimony? And some of you may be like, I don't know. What is, I just kind of know what it is. But anyway, testimony is our spiritual, sort of our spiritual biography. How we say, this is what God has done in my life. This is who God is to me. This is, often it's the story of like how I became a Christian, if you are a Christian. Um, and so maybe some of you have shared your testimony at some point in your life. And um, you're basically, when you're sharing your testimony, again, there's that phrase, that Christian phrase, you're basically telling other people, this is who God is, and this is what he's done in my life. You're sharing who God is and what he's done in your life. Um, and it often has like an attempt to be persuasive. To say, to exhort those who are hearing to greater faith or something like that. Um, and so really, it's a testimony, if you think about it, it's evidence. It's evidence, it's personal evidence from your life that's meant to persuade those around us, right? 
And so, and that's, that's exactly what this word is getting at tonight when, he, when John uses testimony. In fact, the way he uses the word is actually in more of a legal sense, where if someone were to come before a court and testify, they're a legal witness that's coming forward and saying, I testify, or I was a witness of certain events. Um, and so tonight, um, John is coming tonight, to, and he's, he's talking about his testimony, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the witness of Jesus Christ. And so tonight in our text, John gives us two kinds of testimonies. Two kinds of testimonies and then, a, and then a response. So he gives us an external witness or an external testimony and then an internal witness or an internal testimony and then a response. So two testimonies, internal, external, and a response. So I'll read our text and then we'll look at those, those things. Um, so look with me on your text, on your bulletin. Uh, this is God's word. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Let me pray first real quick. Father in heaven, thanks for this evening. Thank you that we can take a break from school and the grind and um, come together and worship and hear your word. I pray that uh, these next few minutes would be illuminating for us, that your spirit would be present, um, that you would cut through the things that I say that are wrong, and that you would use the things that I say that are right to edify your people and to equip them to be better and fuller Christians in their world today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Let's dig in. An external witness. An external witness, like I said, or an external testimony. Now, verse 6. <laughs> you read verse 6. It's a tricky verse. This is, you know, a lot of commentators, you know, who are commentators are basically theologians who study the Bible and then write basically what is this passage about. So commentators are, read this verse and they'll say, well, this is probably the most tricky verse in all of First John. Because we're just left going like, what in the world is he talking about? Water, blood, I don't know. So um, there's, a couple of, there's a lot of debate. There's a couple of different answers on, on what he means when he says water and blood. He who came by water and blood. So some people say maybe it's a reference to Jesus' crucifixion. So you know when Jesus was crucified, a soldier went up to him and, and put a spear into his side and water and blood came out. And this is because when a person dies, the fluids start to separate. Daniel and Cody can tell you this more than I can, but apparently this is what happens. It, it shows that Jesus was really dead. So maybe what they're talking about here is the, you know, Jesus' crucifixion. Um, I don't think that's what he's talking about here because it's not really the context of this. You know, this, this passage is it's not about Jesus' crucifixion. It's about something else. Um, some others would say maybe this is about the sacraments, you know, the baptism and the Lord's Supper where baptism is a reference to the water, and, and the blood is a sacrament to the Lord's Supper. Um, it gets closer, but I, again, I don't think that's what this passage is about. 
because um, there's really nothing else in the, in the passage which is sacramental in the context or anything around it. And then second of all, um, the Lord's Supper is never referred to in Scripture as the blood. Um, so uh, it's referred to as you know, Christ's body and other things like that, but it's never referred to as the blood. So I don't think that's it. Um, so we're left kind of like, well, what is this about? What's this water and blood thing? Um, and um, I think there's been... A, I, I did a lot of research this week, and I think... This consensus, and I tend to agree with this, the consensus among scholars is that basically what he's talking about, he's basically making a reference to Jesus's, Jesus' whole ministry while he was on earth. Jesus' whole ministry while he was in, on earth. And so if you're familiar with Jesus' ministry, Jesus comes onto the scene in the Gospels. And how does he come onto the scene starting his ministry? He's baptized with water. He comes in, and, and Jesus comes in and... and you know, in, in John's Gospel, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or in um, the other Gospels, it, you know, the Synoptic Gospels, the Spirit descends on him and says, This is my beloved Son, or listen to him, or whom I'm well pleased. And so that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he would last for three years. Um, and then the blood, of course, is maybe more clear. That's probably a reference to his crucifixion, right? Of when he dies. And this is his great climactic event of him dying and coming back to life. And so... What, what scholars tend to think, and I, and I tend to agree, is that this idea of um, the, by the water and the blood, it, it means the full work, starting at the beginning all the way to the end of who Jesus is and what he did for those three years that he was on earth. That includes miracles. That includes healings. That includes teachings. That includes all these different external things, witnesses, testimonies that Jesus did while he was on earth. Yes, yeah, so, so what, what, I, what I think he's saying here is that the Christian religion is absolutely based on faith. It's absolutely based on faith. I wouldn't deny that at all. But it's based on, and this is important, the Christian faith is based upon faith in historical events. It's based upon faith in eyewitness claims. This is something that is really important for us to understand today. That Christianity is not just faith in, for faith's sake. But Christianity is a religion that is based on eyewitness claims. That what Jesus did and who Jesus said He was for three years, from His baptism to His death. Remember, this is John. John is cycling back in some ways to what he said at the very beginning of the semester, if you remember. What do you say at the very beginning of the semester? He says, John says, we, we saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And we understood who this person was. We comprehended. There's an objective, external witness to who Jesus Christ is that cannot be denied. This is a real historical faith that we have. So some of you could say, well, wait a minute. I, be- you know, I would believe that Jesus is God. You know, there's this external witness. I would believe it. I would believe in the God of Christianity or something if I had emp- empirical proof. If I had something that could, you could show me. You could show me that it could be demonstrated. And that's what John would say to us tonight. He would say, it has been. I touched him. I saw from his, be- from his baptism to his death. I, I saw and I touched and I felt and I understood empirically. This is not just some sort of faith feeling I had. But these were real experiences of real human beings in Palestine 2,000 years ago of Jesus Christ walking among human beings. 
We call this the apostolic witness in Christianity. The apostles who saw who Jesus was and then witness, then testify and say, we saw it. Take our word for it. Listen to what we have said. The apostles witnessed firsthand Jesus Christ, his miracles, his teaching, and ultimately his death and resurrection. And so now they're telling about that. Not only did they see it, but they are the authoritative interpreters of it. They're the authoritative interpreters. They, they saw it, but they're also the ones who can come in and say, this is what it meant. This is why it's significant. We're the ones who not only, like, it, it's the difference between seeing something and not really understanding what you're seeing, but then seeing something and saying, ah, yes, I understand this. I get the full depth of meaning in this. That's what the apostles have. And that's what they left us in this. They left us their authoritative eyewitness, objective external witness, testimony, and their interpretation of those events in scriptures. So some of you might say, well, well I, I didn't see it. I didn't see what John says he saw. I, I, how can I believe something that I didn't see? And I would ask you, is that really how you live your daily life, that you only live by what you can see? By what you can see? I would say, and to say that most of us tend to rely on what others see and, and certainly rely on even faith um, for, for how we live our lives. So, for example, I've never been to Kenya. I've, I, just, I haven't been to Kenya. I have not seen elephants in the wild. I've seen elephants in the zoo, but I've not seen elephants in the wild. I've not been to a Kenyan Christian worship service, which is an amazing experience, so I'm told. Um, I've not been to Nairobi. Apparently, the traffic is nuts. But I've, I haven't seen any of that. Um, but my sister has. She went to Kenya for, for uh, six weeks. And then she came back and she told me about Kenya. She told me about um, elephants rolling in the mud. And she told me about these incredible Christian worship services that are just amazing. She told me about riding these, inc- you know, these really sketchy motorcycle taxis in this traffic there's like, you know, you're just missed, being missed by trucks by inches or something like that. Like she told me all these stories. And I believe her. Why? Because I trust her. I trust that her eyewitness is reliable, even though I haven't necessarily done that. Another example, how many of you guys have been to New York City? A couple of you have been to New York. I lived in New York City for six years. I can tell you all about rats in the subway. I can tell you all where the best pizza place in Brooklyn is. I can tell you all about certain paintings, where certain paintings are in the Metropolitan Museum. You take my word for it, right? Because I was an eyewitness. I saw it. It's, it's in New York City. And you say, well, I haven't seen it. But I take Jonathan's word for it because I trust him. Because he's a reliable person. You trust my eyewitness, my testimony, because hopefully you trust me as a person. Um, that's what the Bible is in a lot of ways. It's a very, very reliable and we can talk about more of this if you're interested. It's a very reliable transmission of eyewitness testimony, of eyewitness testimony, of witnesses that are saying, this is what God has done in history and this is what it means, culminating in who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. So then why does John give these external witnesses, this, blood to, this water to blood witness? Why does he give these testimonies? Well, in John's Gospel, he tells us, um, and he tells us a little bit here, but he tells us more clearly in the Gospel. In John 20, verses 34, 
uh, through 35, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs, signs being external, objective things that you could see. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the, of the disciples. So they saw it, they witnessed it, which are not written in this book, that is his gospel, but these are written, the ones that are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. So John gives us these, these empirical, do you see, he, he gives us these empirical witnesses. He gives us these signs so that we can believe him. Just like I give you stories and facts about New York City so that you can believe that I've been actually seen it. So John is saying, I'm giving you facts. I'm giving you an external, my eyewitness testimony so that you can believe, so that you can have faith. What is faith? Faith is personal trust in a reliable person. It's personal trust in a reliable person. I trust my sister's testimony about Kenya because I trust her as a person. John tells us that we can trust him and he's not trying to fool us. Just like I'm not trying to fool or trick you right now. So that's the first witness. The first witness, the external witness, eyewitness testimonies. That Jesus coming through water and blood We have eyewitness historical claims to our faith. But he gives us a second witness. He gives us a second witness in the Spirit. And this is an internal witness. An inward witness. And if the first one is external and objective, this one is inward and subjective. Look with me at verse 6 again. Second part. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is true. For these... That for these are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. The Spirit testifies. The Spirit testifies. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, through God's Word, through Scripture, it testifies and it witnesses to who Jesus is. And so Christianity, Christianity is an amazing religion because it does not say that we are out here on our own to try and know who God is. We're not just left out hung high and dry to try and philosophize about who God is or just try and figure it out. But God actually shows us who he is. He tells us who he is through his word. We say that in Scripture, everything we need to know about God and life and following him is written in this word in this, in this book, and, it, and the Holy Spirit gives us the way and the means to interpret what it means. The Holy Spirit uses the Bible, He uses Scripture to persuade and convince us, to give us the assurance that we need in our faith. So this, part, this next thing I'm going to say is really important, so listen closely. The Spirit's testimony is not, the Spirit's witness is not an emotional feeling. It's not an emotional feeling of like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. Look what God has done. So like, you know, you come from, back from camp and you're on this like spiritual high or something like that. Or you, you know, you have some sort of supernatural, you know, spiritual experience that says, oh, this must be true. That's, that's, that is being filled with the Spirit, but that is not necessarily the Spirit's testimony. That's, it's wrong for you to base your assurance, your certainty of your Christian faith on these on these mountaintop experiences. Why? Because that means the emotion, when, the emotional, when that emotion comes down, when that high is over, what are you left with? You're left with 
is Christianity real? Am I a Christian? I, I don't, I don't, you're left with, like, you're left high and dry in your faith. No, our faith is rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ given to us in Scripture. Given to us in Scripture. And then illuminated by the Spirit. So how does the Spirit do that? The Spirit does that by using Scripture, by using the community of those of faith, by using the preaching of the Word to work faith in us. This is a great mystery that I don't fully understand, but this is what we believe God is doing through His Word. So what does the Spirit testify to? Well, so look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. So it means basically that this inner testimony is pointing us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is constantly pointing us to who Jesus is and what he has done. And that means that this internal witness of pointing us to Jesus Christ, it's the best possible witness we could possibly have. It's the, because it's God himself pointing us to God himself. It's God himself pointing us to God himself. So some of you might say, well, that sounds really circular. How does God use God's book to point to God himself? That makes no sense at all. That makes no sense at all. Isn't that circular? But I would ask you, how else would you want God to do it? How else would you want God to... to, to, I mean, God has given us everything that we need. He's given us eyewitness account, which we trust in normal day life. And then he's given his own word that says, this is who I am. This is pointing us to Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that even if God appeared in this room right now and said to me, I'm God and you should believe in me, that there would still be a part of my heart that would doubt and still be part of me that would be like, uh, I don't know. Why? Because that's what happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, God himself, came down into earth and said, I'm God. And there were people who were like, uh, I don't know, that's too far. So much so that they killed him. They killed him. God has given us in his word and in through the eyewitness of those who, whom he gave his scripture. He's given us everything we need for faith and godliness. So that leaves us without an excuse. We're without excuse. John draws a line in the sand and says, you have everything that you need to know God. You've got external witness, eyewitness testimony. You've got the Spirit's inward witness. What are you going to do with it? And they're all pointing to Jesus Christ, who is God himself, who died to atone for our sins and restore us to, to love between God and man. And anyone who rejects this, he's saying, you're calling God a liar. You're calling God a liar. So this brings us to our third point. First point, the external witness. The external witness. Second point, the internal witness. Third point, our response. Our response. And so what I want us to see in this one is that this is not just some academic debate. This is not just like a debate around who's right about these. No, this, is, this, has, this has real import, real weight in how you and I live our lives today. It's critical to believe these testimonies, John tells us, because they point us to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the only way that we have eternal life. He's the only way that we have eternal life. 
Now, eternal life is, again, it's one of those loaded words in Christianity, right? You hear that word, you think of like picket signs. At least I think of like picket signs, and I think of protests and fundamentalists whom I'm like, I don't want to be associated with that. And it's a loaded word. Um, And uh, so I want to be careful and name that. But I do also want to say that Scripture is describing here in eternal life the glorious completion, the glorious completion of a giant Beautiful cosmic story. A giant story. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read this book, if you study it carefully, you see, you see a four-part narrative. You see a story that God is weaving across history. And that starts with creation. Christianity says that God created the world. He created it good. He created it without brokenness. That means that there was peace between humans and creation. That means that there was peace between humans and humans. That means there was peace between God and God, God and man. There's no environmental abuse. There was no sexual abuse, no terrorism, no murder, no exploitation, no divorce. We were at total peace with God in the world. It says that God would walk with humans in the cool of the day. God would walk. I mean, that's peace right there. And then the next piece, so creation, fall. Then comes the fall, and the fall brought the total destruction of this piece. Total destruction of love, total destruction of justice, breaking everything. It poisoned everything. It brought death into this world. It brought condemnation. It brought sadness. It brought tears. Everything, every piece of who we are is affected tragically by the fall. Tragically by the fall. And it ultimately it brought death to us and decay to us. So that's the second part. Creation. Everything is beautiful and good. Fall. Everything is broken. Everything is decaying. Redemption. Redemption. Everything in this book is about God buying back, bringing back harmony and peace to His creation. It's saying that God moves closer. God always moves closer. God is always moving closer to His broken creation. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of God coming so close that people could touch Him. Why? Because He wanted to fix sin. He wanted to atone for sin. He wanted to demolish sin and bring us back. In redemption, God, He solves sin's punishment through Jesus' death and conquers sin's power through Jesus' resurrection. That brings us to the last step. Restoration. Creation. Fall. Redemption. Restoration. Restoration. In restoration, we see the, res- the, res- the restoration of everything back to the way it was supposed to be in creation. No more poverty. No more sexual slavery. No more war. No more alcohol and drug abuse. Everything again in perfect harmony. This is eternal life. That's what's on offer here. It's not just going up into heaven and playing some, you know, a harp with wings. But it's the restoration of everything on earth as it's supposed to be. That's what's on offer in eternal life. That's what God is saying. This is what Jesus Christ has come to bring. The restoration of everything that's wrong in this world back to the way that it was supposed to be. Removing the poisoning effects of sin forever. Ultimately, it's about God's love conquering sin. God's love conquering sin. So we've asked this semester, what is love? What is love? By this we know love. John shows us here, love is God restoring us to eternal life through Jesus Christ.
And it's all by his free, undeserved, incredible grace. That is what this is all about. So John is here drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, you must choose. You must choose. Do you believe the testimony? Do you believe these witnesses? These two witnesses? And if so, will you respond in faith? And that's a challenge as much in our world today at New Mexico State as it was back then. Because there's a lot of people in this world who would say, Jonathan, I'm glad Christianity works for you. I'm glad you can sleep at night with that. I'm glad it helps you feel more fulfilled. It's just not for me. And, that, and John would say, that, then you're not getting my point. Then you're not getting the point. Jesus Christ is either the risen God who is sitting on His throne, or He's not. There's no in-between. We can't just be like, I don't know. We have to land on this. It means that you can't be apathetic. It means that you can't say, I, I, I don't know. He says, Jesus is either the God-man who died and rose, or He's not. And I've given you all the evidence you, you need. Will you believe it? So I'm going to close with the last verses of the Gospel of John. and I, These are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And I think they're appropriate here. Um, and I'll read this. It says... Um, This is the disciple, this is John speaking, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. This is an amazing verse. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did and were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for the witness that you've given us. Thank you for the testimonies that you've given us of who Jesus is, showing us his great work to redeem all things back to himself. Father, give us greater faith in that. Help us to trust more and more the reliability of your word and the reliability of the eyewitnesses and the reliability of your your spirit at work in us. Give us such confidence that we would even feel willing to Talk to other people about it. Um, Start with me, Lord. Start with me. And then from there, go out into this community. We're thankful for you and we're thankful for what you've done to redeem us, to bring us back to eternal life. Um, So, Father, we pray that you would work in mighty ways in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.